0: Hey, so, before we jump into today, let me tell you about something coming up next week. I am really excited about this new series, series we're going to do because it is something that all of us deal with from time to time. We are doing a series called Bad Blood, Bad Blood. And if you're lucky, we'll play uh, Tay Tay every Sunday at the end of the service. We'll see. No, here, here's what this series is about, and here's why I'm so excited about because all of us, all of us from time to time, deal with broken relationships we deal with difficult relationships, we deal with toxic relationships, we all know people who deal with those. This is one of those series that we all need from time to time, and if you have a family member or a friend who doesn't go to church and you've been thinking, man, i got to get them here, I, I, need a, I need a reason, i just got to find the right time to invite them. Well, this is a time because we all deal with these relationships, don't we? And how do you forgive and how do you create boundaries, you know, so you don't get hurt and all of those types of things? We're going to dig into this in this series, Bad Blood. so it's a perfect Next week's a perfect Sunday. Invite your friends, invite your family, bring them with you, and let's talk about that. Now today we're wrapping up a series, a little mini-series we started last week, and as I told you, it's called Five Things God Uses to Grow Your Faith, and what we're doing is we're, we're going to continue today a discussion we started last week around a question that's core to who we are as a church, it's core to everything that we do as a church. The question is simply this, it's the idea of how, how do you have, there it is, how do you have a growing relationship with Jesus? How do you have a growing relationship with Jesus? What does that mean to have a growing relationship? And then what's our part in that? Now, the assumption I'm making, I think it's a fair assumption. As I told you last week, if you were here, the assumption I'm making is that you actually care about a growing relationship with Jesus. But I think that's true or you wouldn't be here. It's true or you wouldn't be watching. Even if you're not a church person, you wouldn't consider yourself a religious person. Maybe you're not a Christian. Uh, You're here or you're watching because you're at least curious about what a growing relationship looks like and whether it's possible for you and we love that as a matter of fact a big reason why we do what we do is because of your curiosity we think your curiosity deserves a conversation you deserve a place where you can come and you can explore and you can try to figure this out and you can figure out for yourself what it means and you can be you know honest about your doubts and your frustrations and so that's why for us we want to create a place that not just church people love to attend. We want to create a a place that people not in church love to attend just as much as us church people because we think a growing relationship, this is good news, a growing relationship isn't just for church people. A growing relationship is for all people. So last week, here's where we started. If you weren't with us, I'll try to catch you up in about two minutes. We started with this idea that when it comes to a growing relationship with Jesus, there is a role that God plays and there is a role that we play. And the Apostle Paul summed this up Well, for us, in a letter he wrote to the Philippians, here's what he said about these dual roles. He said, therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, as you've always tried to follow Jesus, not only in my presence, not only when I was with you, he's gone now, but now much more in my absence. And then here is what he says our roles are. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's Paul's way of saying, hey, here's your role. For those of you who are trying to grow in your faith, for those of you who are following Jesus, your role is, this is important, your role is to work out what God's trying to do in you. And to do it, his wording was with fear and trembling. That just means to really take it seriously. Like, to pay attention to it. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For, he says, it is God, here's God's role, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So, Here's where we landed last week. God has a role and we have a role. God's role is to point out the areas of our lives where we need to make a step, where we need to make a change, and to let us know, okay, in order for you to experience what I want you to experience in life, in order for you to be who you were created to be, God will say, that needs to be addressed. Okay, I think you've got to deal with that situation. I, I, think, you've got, I think you've got to address that relationship. Like God's role is to point things out, and this is the good news, And then God promises he will empower us to change. He will give us the power to will and to act. He will give us the power to make the steps because we just can't make them on our own. And if you've ever had this experience, you know. If you've ever taken seriously trying to grow in your relationship with Jesus, God will point out things and you think, there's no way I can do that. There's no way I can do that. And God says, I know, you're right. But I'm not expecting you to do it all on your own. I'm here to empower you. I'm here to help. I'm here to get you where you need to go if you will just cooperate with me, and that is our role. Our role is to cooperate and change, cooperate and change. God points out something, okay, I'm not going to ignore that, which is what we all have done and want to do. I'm not going to ignore that. I know it's uncomfortable. I'm not going to ignore that. I don't really want to do it, but I'm not going to ignore it. I'm going to cooperate. I'm going to take a step, and I'm going to change, and I'm going to trust God to do in me what I can't do in myself. I'm going to trust God to make things that are very unnatural for us, to do on our own, make them natural as he shifts and changes my heart and my character. And the reason God does all that, Paul says, is for, at the end of this verse, he says, for his good purpose. And I told you last week, the easiest way to think of this is God's purpose for your life and mine in a macro sense. So the reason everything that happens in your life happens in your life is because God wants to build big faith in you. Big faith is just a way of saying, God wants you to trust Him big because trust is the foundation for every single healthy relationship in your life, including your relationship with your Heavenly Father. And the more you trust Him, the closer you'll become. The more you trust Him, the more like Him you'll be. The more you trust Him, the better your life will become. And the more you trust Him, the bigger the faith you have, the bigger the love you will have, not just for Him, but the bigger the love you will have for the people around you. Because spiritual growth isn't about how much you know, it is about how well you love. Now, that being said, we spent a little time last week talking about what I call the uh, five faith catalysts, five faith catalyst. and basically, we just honed in on, okay, what does it look like to cooperate with God? What's it look like to focus on our role and figure out how do I pay attention to what God's doing and stay in step with Him? How do I cooperate with what He's trying to do and then change? And what I introduced to you, and we've talked about this around here before, but I introduced you this idea that there are five things God uses to grow your faith. And you can't go to a verse in the Bible where they lists all five. But if you will read the Bible, you will see story after story and scripture after scripture addresses these five things. And as I was taught this many years ago, I began to pay attention to it and realized, okay, every time somebody tells me their faith story, I hear them talking about these things. And once you understand what they are, then it's really easy to cooperate. Once you understand what they are, you know what you can do so that God can do what only he can do in your life. And the beauty of these is it doesn't matter if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're not sure you want to be, if you're trying to figure it out, if you want to grow closer to Jesus, then you can apply these and they will work for you. So last week we talked about the first two, but you have slept since last Sunday, so let me remind you what they are, okay? The first one we talked about is practical teaching. Practical teaching is just the idea whenever somebody tells their faith story, it's probably true for you. At some point, they will talk about. And then I started going to this church, and there was a teacher or there was a pastor who explained the Bible in a way that just made so much sense. It was like the Bible just came alive, and suddenly I knew not only what it said, but I knew what to do with it, and I started applying it, and, you know, it just changed my life. Or they'll talk about a Bible study they got in and how things just started to make sense to them. The Bible just came alive. Everybody eventually, when they talk about the relationship with Jesus, talks about how practical teaching made such a difference. How suddenly the Bible came alive, it wasn't just about information, but it was, oh, I know what to do with that now. It makes sense to me. And I, can, I know how to live it out. And the reason that is such a big catalyst for our faith is because application, not just information, leads to transformation in our lives. It's why Jesus said, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, you know it, but you do it, is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. So practical teaching is a big deal. It's a big part of how our faith grows. The second one I addressed or introduced last week was personal ministry, what we call personal ministry. Again, when people tell their faith stories, what they'll often say, and again, this is probably true for you, they will say, well, hey, there was this time where I started serving in the church, and I started leading a group of middle school boys, or I started uh, serving on You know, guest services, or I started helping out with preschoolers, or I started doing this, or I started leading this, or whatever. Or they'll talk sometimes about going on mission trips and getting involved, serving that way. But they'll talk about how when they developed a regular habit, a regular habit of taking the focus off of themselves and serving somebody else, it was like a spark was ignited and their faith just took off. What began as, I'm doing this out of a sense of obligation, I'm doing this because, well, somebody ought to do it, and yeah, I probably should, and I feel kind of bad if I don't, eventually becomes something that's seen as an opportunity. It's, oh my goodness, I thought I was doing this, and I thought I was serving because I was trying to give something to them, but I'm getting more than I'm giving when I do it. And the reason that's true, the reason this is such a big catalyst, is you always, you always, you always grow the most when you give back. You just do. That's how you and I are wired. We grow the most when we regularly, consistently develop a habit of putting other people before ourselves. Now, what I want to do today is I want to introduce the other three faith catalysts to you. So we'll take just a minute and walk through these three. The third one is what we call private disciplines. Private disciplines. Nobody likes that word discipline, so you can take that out and call it habits if you want. Private disciplines are just spiritual habits. That's all they are. And whenever I hear people's faith stories, they'll talk about a couple spiritual habits or private disciplines in particular. Almost without exception, they will talk about, okay, there was a point in time where I had a friend teach me how to do this or someone encouraged me to do it or I started with a small group to do this. I started reading my Bible every day and praying. And I'd never really done that before, but I developed a habit of carving out like 10 minutes or 15 minutes or however much it was. And I'd go sit on my back deck or... I would sit in a room in my living room, or, you know, I went to the office early, and I sat at my desk before everybody got there, and I just started reading a little bit of the Bible every day, and then I started praying, and not like praying the way I'd always prayed, not like praying the prayer that every time you get called on to pray at a meal, you just kind of spit it out, you know what I'm talking about, like, not that kind of praying. But like a, a real genuine, I started to learn how to really pray and communicate with God and just openly express to God everything I was feeling, everything I was overwhelmed by, everything I was questioning, everything that was going on in my world. And all of a sudden, it's like my faith came alive. All of a sudden, I, was, I realized as I'm reading the Bible, God's becoming more personal and alive to me. As I'm talking to him, I think he's guiding me in some of this I'm talking to him about. I think he's answering some of these prayers. And it was just a huge faith catalyst for them. Another private discipline that I hear talked about a lot when people tell their stories is the discipline of generosity. People will talk about, okay, well, there came a point where I decided I wasn't just going to give randomly, that I was going to make generosity an actual priority in my life. It was going to be the top priority, and I was going to pick a percentage and be very intentional about how much I I gave, and I became very intentional about where I was going to give it. It wasn't just a little bit here or there. And they'll talk about how when they developed that habit, man, it was like their faith took off and God did things and answered prayers and they've got stories. Maybe you've run into people like this. They've got stories about, okay, I did this and then God showed up and you start listening to those stories and you're like, no, 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 I couldn't. First one, you're like, that's just a coincidence. And by about the fifth one they've got, you're like, good grief. like that, that doesn't make any sense, but it's like they've experienced God in some ways I've never even seen God. I didn't even know he did that. Like I didn't even think that was possible. And the reason those private disciplines are such big catalysts of faith is because Jesus said they were going to be. In the Sermon on the Mount, he's talking to some of his followers. And I always chuckle when I read it because he got to a certain point in his talk and he said, okay, when you pray, when you pray, as if, okay, it's not even an option, I just assume... If you're following me, you're going to pray and talk to your heavenly father. So when you pray, and he gave them some instructions. And then he said, and when you give, when you give, not if, because it's just if you're following me, generosity should be a hallmark of your life. So when you give, and he gave them some instructions, because Jesus knew that these two faith catalysts, these two uh, habits, that they ignite our faith in some ways that nothing else can. Now, whenever I talk about this, and maybe you're thinking this now, whenever I talk about this with people, and I encourage people to carve out a little bit of time every day to spend time with God and to read their Bible and pray. Or I, I encourage people, you know, to make generosity a priority and pick a percentage. Whenever I talk about this, inevitably, one on one, what I hear back from people is okay, at, at some point, Matt, I tried that. And it just didn't seem to make a lot of difference. I mean, at some point, I tried that, but I. I just gave up because it, it didn't really seem to be changing me. Like, I was reading my Bible, and it was like, I don't think God was doing anything. Like, it was just like I was reading my Bible, and so eventually I decided it didn't matter. And when, whenever they say that, here's what i always tell them. You just gave up too soon. You gave up too soon. Now I'm not saying that because, you know, you know, I'm the pastor, and I'm supposed to just encourage people to do that. I say that because that's not how you treat any other relationship that really matters to you. See, here's here's what's true, and if you understand this, it'll help unlock a lot of these habits for you. Here's what's true. Time, time, with God over time, changes you. This is so true. When you spend time with God over an extended period of time, by that I mean, okay, I'm going to carve out 15 minutes, but I'm just going to do this for weeks and weeks and weeks, and it's going to become a habit of my life, and I'm I'm just going to keep doing it over the years. Time with God over an extended period of time changes you it really does now the reason I know this is true this is how any relationship works think about it isn't it true that when you spend time with someone for an extended period of time that person influences and changes who you are if you're married the longer you've been married the more time you have spent with that person the more they have changed you right now you have an excuse. Just blame them. if They, they changed you, you know. It does. You're influenced by it the longer you date somebody. The longer you're a friend with somebody, the more they influence you. And you don't even think about it. It's not like you go into it going, I hope they influence and change me. It just happens. And the same is true with God. Just real quickly, I'll tell you this. I was very fortunate because when I was younger, my parents taught and they modeled this. They modeled these private disciplines for me. And one of them they modeled was spending time with God every day, reading my Bible and praying. And I, you know, as a kid, I didn't know any difference, so I just started doing it, and I kept doing it. And you know what? As I was working on this message, I started reflecting back, and I realized every single defining decision, every single defining decision that I have made in my life has come out of and has been a result of this habit of spending time with God on a regular basis. Every single one. The decision to start a church right here in Murray It came out of the middle of a time I had carved out, just like I did every day, to spend a little bit of time reading my Bible and praying. At the time, I was teaching middle and high school math. And I got up early that morning, just like I did every single day before I went, you know, to work. And I was in the middle of my living room floor. And I had read my Bible, and I was on my knees praying, because when you teach middle and high schoolers, it will put you on your knees every single day. So... So I was, don't think I'm that spiritual, I needed that. So I was on my knees praying and I wasn't even thinking about it. But it was in that moment that God very clearly tapped on my heart and said, here's what you need to do and here's where you need to go do it and now is the time. Now, would I have ever heard that, would I have ever heard that if I didn't have a habit of carving out a few minutes to sit and to listen and to learn and to interact with God? Probably not. Because you know just as well as I do, we do not have the margin to hear God. We do not have the margin to learn from God when we're going 200 miles an hour through life. We all need, I know you're busy, I'm busy, but this is why it's so important. We all need to carve out a little bit of time every day just to listen and just to learn. And it's not, if you start trying this tomorrow, I'm telling you, you're not going to open up your Bible and just have some great epiphany and be like, oh my gosh, that was extraordinary, and I just sense God's presence. No. Just remember, just keep doing it. Just keep doing it. Because, like any good habit, time with God over time changes you. The same thing is true with generosity. It is. Intentional, consistent generosity over time changes your heart in some extraordinary ways. Now, again, when it comes to generosity, I, I realize anytime I get up and talk about, hey, you should make generosity a pr- the top priority in your life or in your finances. You should pick a percentage and be intentional about what you want to give away and then be intentional about where it's going. I realize I sound like a crazy man to people who've never done this before. And I get that. Because, because who? I mean, how, how does that work? Who says I'm going to pick a, a percentage of my money, and even though I need that or I feel like I need that or I want that for some things for myself, I'm going to give that away for I mean, who does that? But when I was a kid, when I was 12 years old, I had my very first job. Again, my parents did such a great job of modeling this and teaching it. They sat me down. And they said, okay, here's how it works. You give first, you save second, and then you consume the rest for yourself. This is how you should do it. If you do it this way, it'll, it'll be extraordinary for you your entire life. You should always give first, save second, and consume the rest. And so I started doing it. I didn't know any better. And so it's, I've never stopped. All these years, I've never stopped. And I could talk to you all day about the impact that I think it's had on my life. But I'll tell you one thing that hits close to home. What intentional, consistent generosity does is it delivers contentment and peace to your life. I know that from experience. Contentment and peace. And contentment and peace are what we're all ultimately searching for. The reason most of us consume first, save if we have anything left over, and then, oh my gosh, I'll give if i got a few dollars in my pocket. The reason we handle our finances that way is because we're looking for contentment and peace, and we think the road or the path to contentment and peace is to consume more or to get more. And it's not. It never has been. It never will be. It never delivers, but we all chase that way. And when you flip that thing on its head, something extraordinary happens in your heart as you become, not do generosity every now and then, but as you become a generous person in your heart, something extraordinary happens. You discover contentment. And you discover peace. And suddenly you don't have to have all that. And you don't need that. And you can admire something someone has without feeling this immense pressure to acquire it. I gotta get that a house like that. That'd make me happy. I gotta drive something like that. I gotta have this. I gotta buy that. The retail therapy would stop, ladies and gentlemen. Retail therapy would stop. I mean, if you would get this, you would you would discover, oh my goodness, I can I can admire what they have. I don't have this insatiable desire to acquire it because I'm content. I'm at peace. As a matter of fact, I'm so content and at peace. I'm cheering you on. You just keep getting all that stuff and then let me use it, but you pay for it and insure it. And, you know, it's like, whoa, this is a great deal. I love this. You know, I'll just call you when I want to play on that. So, so I'm telling you, generosity does something extraordinary. Extraordinary in your heart. It does. It's why Jesus said, Hey, you need to pray and you need to give because these are powerful faith catalysts. So Real quickly, let me ask you a couple of questions. Are you spending time with God on a regular basis? Are you spending time with God on a regular basis? If not, what if you just took the next seven days and you carve out a little bit of time? I know you're busy, but just carve out a little bit of time. Ten minutes, 15 minutes before you take off, start your day. What if you carve out a little bit of time, pick a spot, you sit down, you open up your Bible and you just read a chapter of one of the Gospels or one of the New Testament letters. And you just talk to God about whatever's on your mind. Just for a few minutes. If you don't know where to start, you can go to Bible.com. You can download the Bible app on your phone. They've got seven-day. They've got all kinds of reading plans, thousands of them. Pick a seven-day reading plan, and they'll just tell you what to read and what to do. It's right there. You ought to try this for seven days and see what happens And see if God doesn't show up in some unique ways because you carve out a little bit of time to listen. Same for this question. Are you practicing priority, percentage, generosity? If not, you ought to just take 30 days and say, okay, I know it's all about consuming and then saving and I want to be generous, but I just give a little here and there. Okay, I'm going to try to flip this for 30 days. For 30 days, you ought to try this. Give first, save second, and then consume. Just for 30 days. You don't have to give it here. If you think I'm trying to get, you don't have to give it here. Pick wherever you want to give it. Pick somewhere that you're grateful for what they do. Pick somewhere that you're passionate about what they do. And just do it for 30 days. And see what happens. See what God does. See if it doesn't begin to ignite your faith just a little bit. That's what private disciplines do. Now, here's the fourth faith catalyst. It's what we call providential relationships. Providential relationships. Now, I love these because anytime somebody tells me their faith story, it does not take long. I bet this is true for you. It does not take long before they start naming some people and saying, oh, my goodness, this person helped me with this, and this person helped me, and this person helped me. And almost without fail, they will say, it's like God sent those people into my life, to which I say, he did. He did. Because God uses people to build our faith. We weren't created to grow in isolation. We were created to grow in community. God uses people to build our faith. That's why the writer of Hebrews said this. In Hebrews chapter 10. He said let's consider how we may spur one another on. Because we all need a little encouragement every now and then don't we. So he says let's figure out. I want you to, Here's what he's saying. I want you to pause. Hit pause. You got all the things going on in your life. Great. But hit pause. And just think about it for a minute. Just consider. How could I help some of the people around me? How could I encourage? How could I push and support those people toward loving good deeds? How could they push and spur me on towards a bigger love, towards good deeds? Not giving up meeting together because you got to be together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. Now, Pastors have taken this for years, and if you grew up in church, you've heard this. Pastors have taken this for years and read this verse and said, this is why you ought to be at church every single Sunday. Like, come on, people, what's wrong with you? But That's not what it means, okay? The reason they do that is because it's a lot more fun to talk with people sitting in seats. That's why pastors do that. That's not what it means. Let me, let me tell you what they're referring to here. In the first century, these believers, yeah, they got together corporately, but these believers would gather in one another's homes during the week, and they just did life together. They would gather in one of their homes to say, hey, how's your week been? What's going on? And they would talk about what's going on with each other. And then they would encourage each other. Oh, man, that sounds tough. But you handled that the right way. Or, that sounds tough. What would it look like if you trusted God completely? What, what would you do in that situation? What would it look like to trust God and act in that circumstance? And they would just encourage one another to grow in their love, to grow in their faith, to grow in their good deeds. And it was a key to a catalyst for their faith growing big and their trust in their heavenly Father growing large so i got a couple questions for you here's the first one are you connected with a few who will encourage you are you connected with a few who will not can like i know you got people in your life who could encourage you but are you connected with a few who when you're facing a tough situation and you're not sure you want to do what you should do if you knew god was with you when you're facing a situation and it's just kind of overwhelming, when you're facing a situation and you don't have any clarity and you're trying to figure out what the wise thing is to do and you're not sure, when you're trying to, you've been growing in your relationship with Jesus, but now you've got a circumstance that allows you to drift and you're tempted to drift just a little bit. Do you have a few who not can, anybody could, but who you know, you have confidence, they will step in, they'll know what's going on, and they will step in And they will encourage me to do the right thing, to say the right thing, to have the right response. Do you have a few who will do that with you? This is why, if you've been around here, you've heard me talk about this. This is why I stand up here from time to time and I'm like, hey, if you're not in one of our small groups, you ought to get in one of our small groups. And some of you just shake your head and are, I'm never doing that, I'm never doing that. I get it, I get it. But But here's the thing, here's the thing. I want you to be in a small group for this reason. Because it raises the possibility of some providential relationships in your life. It raises, I can't orchestrate those, I don't know where they'll come from, but it raises the possibility that you're going to connect with a few people who when you have some key moments in life and you need encouragement, they're going to be there to encourage you. When you have some key moments in life where you're starting to drift, they will look at you and say, I don't think that's a smart direction. Have you thought about that? You're going to need some people. And when those moments come, if you haven't already connected with a few who can do that for you, you will miss the support and the encouragement that you need. But here's the flip side of it. Like that does, I understand, that doesn't convince you if you don't want to be in a group. And honestly, I don't care if you can get your few without being in one of our small groups and get get your few any way you get your few. I don't care. But here's the thing. I know it doesn't convince you when I say that because you think, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. Let me tell you what really bothers me. What bothers me when you resist connecting with a few, what bothers me is not what you're going to miss out on when you need them and they're not there. You ask for it. All right, you get what you got coming to you. What bothers me is, I love you, what bothers me is the fact that there are some people who would benefit from you. There are some people who you would be a providential relationship in their life, but they are missing The benefit of your wisdom. You don't think you have any wisdom. You have wisdom. You don't think God would use you. He would use you. They are missing the benefit of your wisdom and of your influence and of your encouragement because you won't connect with them. And they didn't do anything to deserve that. That's what really bothers me about it. Like, if you don't think you want it, well, fine. Then when you need it and it's not there, you made the choice. But there are some people who need you in their life. That's not just true for those of us who are Christians but there are some people who are not followers of Jesus who need you in their life. See, there are some people who are not followers of Jesus who you could, if you were willing to, if you would invest in those relationships, if you would develop those friendships, if you would care, there are some people who are not followers of Jesus who one day would talk about you as a providential relationship in their life, and you're part of the reason that they came to follow Jesus. So let me ask you this question. Are you connected with a few who need to see God through you? Have you invested in some relationships with people and said, okay, I don't know how God's going to use me here, but I'm available, and I'm going to care about these people and love these people and show up regularly in their lives, and God, my prayer is this, you'll just help them to see you through me. This is why I love baptism stories so much. If you've never seen one of our baptisms around here, in most cases, most of the time, whoever's getting baptized, they sit down, and they, we video them telling their story. And then we show it, and then right afterwards we, you know, we baptize them, and there's, everybody cheers, and it's a big celebration. But the thing, I don't see these baptism videos usually until you do. I'll see them on Sunday morning. And the thing that chokes me up every single video, every single one, is without fail, if you notice this, they will get to a point in the video where they start naming the names of people that God used to help them come to faith. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but not one person names me. Nobody. That is how irrelevant I am around here. Nobody names me, and they shouldn't. But they name their friends. Who, those friends, all they did is they said, I'm going to connect with a few. Okay, I'm not just, not just about me and my family. Like, I'm going I'm to carve out a little bit of time for these relationships, and I'm going to show up regularly. And then God did something extraordinary that they didn't even think he was going to do. God used them to point their friend to Jesus. It's why, if you've ever wondered this, it's why a lot of times one of those friends will be down here and they'll be a part of the baptism. They'll help baptize their friend. Because we just think it's so extraordinary. Like, that is a faith-building moment for the person being baptized, but oh my goodness, that's a faith-building moment for the person that God used for the person who was a providential relationship in the life of that person getting baptized. Is there anyone in our community, is there anyone in our community who would tell their faith story and they would mention your name? There should be a few. And if there's not, you should reevaluate how you're investing your time and how you're investing in relationships. Because God can use you. He can. But you've got to be willing to connect with a few. You've got to do. Your part and you'll be a providential relationship for somebody, and maybe there'll be some bodies who are providential relationships for you, even though you didn't realize you needed it. All right, one final faith catalyst this is the one that we usually don't have control over. We got total control over the other four. We can show up at church regularly and get practical teaching, we can get involved serving somewhere that's our choice. We can develop habits, spiritual habits. That's our choice. We can put ourselves into small groups, into relationships where we can have providential relationships. That's our choice. This one we don't always have a choice in, but it's critical. It's pivotal circumstances. Pivotal circumstances. Sometimes these are really good circumstances. This is probably true for you. You tell your story and you talk about how you started dating someone and God used that person to ignite your faith. Or... How you moved off to a new city, and it was like a brand new start, and God used that circumstance to ignite your faith. Or you went to a new church, and God led you to a new church, and God used that church to ignite your faith. I mean, sometimes they're really good things. Sometimes they're really difficult things. And we've all got those stories too, don't we? We lost a loved one, we lost a job, we lost a dream. It was painful. But in your story, you don't talk about how your faith was shattered. You talk about how in the midst of a very difficult time, your faith grew. How your relationship with God became so much more personal. Because circumstances, listen, circumstances do not make or break your faith. Your response in the circumstance does. That's why two people can go through very similar circumstances, and one comes out with stronger faith, and one walks away from faith. It is not about the circumstance. It is about your response. So what? how do I grow in the middle of pivotal circumstances? Well, here's the solution. It's really simple. The best way to grow through pivotal circumstances is to grow before pivotal circumstances. The best way to grow through a pivotal circumstance is actually to choose to grow before the circumstance ever hits. And when you are listening to practical teaching and doing what God says... When you're investing in serving so God can change your heart to focus more on others than yourself. When you're spending time with God, listening and learning. When you've developed a heart of generosity. When you've built a support network of followers of Jesus who are around you, who are providential relationships for you. When you're investing in helping other people come to experience a growing relationship with Jesus. You know what happens? Your faith grows so big that you have no trouble responding in that pivotal circumstance the right way because you trust your Heavenly Father implicitly. It doesn't matter what your circumstances say. You're not shaken by that. You know He loves you. You know He cares. And you can walk with Him through it. And you've got the support network to help you. The best way you grow through one is just to choose to grow before one so you're prepared for it. Now, let me go a little bit of a different direction for just a minute, and then we'll tie all this together, and I'll wrap it up. Here's another thing that comes up when I talk about this, and maybe this is what you've been thinking. Maybe you've been thinking, okay, great, Matt, for the last two weeks, you've been talking about everything we are supposed to do to grow. I'm sorry, hang on. Like, the whole point I come, the whole reason I come to church, like, the whole point of this, I thought, was it's the church's job. Okay, I'm just going to go ahead and be bold and say it. Matt, it's your job to make sure I grow spiritually. If you've been asking that, that's a great question. What is my role in this? What are the, the leaders of this church? What, what is our role in helping you grow spiritually? Well, there is a role. And Paul defined this really clearly. He wrote about this. Like I don't have any wiggle room when it comes to my role or you know, the leaders of this church. He laid it out really clearly. Here's what he said in Ephesians. Look at this. He said, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers, those are all church leaders, to feed his people with godly truth so that the body of Christ may be happy. And that word happy in the Greek means full, fat, and sassy. That's what it means. See, nobody's chuckling because you people need to read your Bibles. I made all that up. I made it up. You've got to go home and check your Bible. Who knows what I'm telling you is true. No, I made all that up. Here's, here's, why I, here's why I wrote this. Here's why I made this up. I'll show you what it says in a minute. This probably isn't true for most of you. But if you grew up in church, you're going you're gonna to relate to this. And I just, I just want to address this. If you grew up in church, you're just like me. You heard, you heard, hey, the job of the church, the job of the pastor is to feed us, to feed us so we can grow spiritually. That's the job. And over the course of you know, the time I've been doing this, I can't tell you how many conversations I've had where people have come up to me and they've started out by saying, hey, I'm a little concerned because I'm just not growing spiritually. And I'll say, yeah, tell me more. To which they say, and this is a a catchphrase, to which they say, well, I just don't feel like I'm being fed. At which point, if you ever do this to me, you will watch me do this. At which point I get a big grin on my face and I start laughing. I know it's not sensitive, but I just start laughing because that's their code for saying, I'm not growing spiritually because you're not doing your job, Matt. You need to do a better job and then I'll grow more spiritually. It just makes me chuckle. I just laugh because they won't just come out and say that. But anyway, I know what they mean. I know what they mean. And what they don't realize is, They just gave themselves away. They just gave themselves away because here's what I do. Nobody's ever going to do this to me that's here today. You you won't be brave enough now because here's what will happen. Here's how it plays out. When they tell me that, I say, okay, well, let me ask you some questions. Are you showing up at church regularly, and are you listening to what's being taught and then doing it? Let's talk about, and they'll be like, yeah, 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 I am, and then I'll actually start rattling off things I have taught recently did you do this? Are you doing this? Are you doing a good job with this? That's when it gets really awkward and uncomfortable. Everybody's like, oh my gosh, that's way too much accountability. I don't want to talk about that. And they'll say, hey, are you serving in our church? Sometimes they are. Sometimes they're not. I'll say, hey, tell me about how regularly you're spending time with God and praying. And let's talk about your generosity. You want to talk about your generosity? No, sir. No, sir. I do not want to, talk. you know, it's like, oh my gosh, yes, I'll make, it, I'll make it really awkward. But I'll try to do it in a nice way. Because I, I just want to rattle through this. I want to help us all to see wait a minute there's more here than oh it's the church's fault I'm not growing spiritually oh it's the it's Matt's fault I'm not growing spiritually no 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 it's because we're not cooperating with God it's because we're not putting these faith catalysts into our lives here's what Paul actually said my role was and the role of every church leader in our church is he said it was to equip not to feed to equip his people for works of service to equip you to go love people, to equip you to go serve others. That's my job. So that the body of Christ may be built up. In other words, my job, my job, is not to feed you. If you're a Christian, my job's not to feed you. My job is to equip you to feed yourself. And this is a really important distinction. What do you call a six-month-old who has to be fed every meal? Normal. Normal. What do you call a 21-year-old who has to be spoon-fed every meal? Abnormal. Like that, there's an issue. Red flag. So, of course, when you first begin following Jesus, yeah, you need somebody to help you figure it out. But my job is not for you to spend the rest of your life. And our goal has never been to create a place where you come every single Sunday and say, Oh, my goodness, oh, my goodness, I'm, I'm just barely made it through the week. Now I gotta. Now I got math's gotta fill me up. Like, come on, come on, give me something good. I need something. I'm struggling. I need something. I need something. Whoo, okay, that was enough. Or oh, he didn't really do it that week. You know, it's, it's like okay, I gotta make it another week. And you're completely dependent on me. That is that is that's very unhealthy. That's very unhealthy. I'm not that good anyway. Your my job is simply this. My job is to show you how to cooperate with God, so you can grow spiritually. I am not responsible for your spiritual growth. I am responsible for mine. And you are responsible for yours. So from day one, we structured this church to equip you. And I'm going to hopefully bring it all together here so it at least makes sense what we do. The five faith catalysts, everything is structured around these. So we say, hey, we want you to attend on Sunday. And here's what we promise. You show up on Sunday, we're going to do everything in our power to make sure you experience practical teaching. Where you hear something that makes sense. I know what that means, and I know what I should do with it. It's up to you to do it. But it's clear. And we, we promise okay, if you've got kids, we're going to make sure your preschooler, your elementary kid, your middle schooler, you know, whoever, they hear at an age appropriate level practical teaching. So if you'll show up, You'll get that. Then you've got to figure out what to do with it. You hear me talk all the time about, hey, we would love for you to volunteer here. I, I take a Sunday a year where I just stand up, and the whole Sunday is about, you should get involved here. Why? Because I'm giving you a chance to develop a habit of personal ministry. It is not about, we need, we need, we need, okay, we got, we got babies crying everywhere and nobody to hold them. We need. No, 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 we don't have that problem. We do not have that problem. We're not going to leave babies laying in the floor crying, okay? We don't have that problem. Why am I asking you to serve? Not for our benefit, for yours. Because you grow most when you give back. And I know it's a faith catalyst. And you do it sometimes because, well, Matt said, and he kind of guilted me into it or whatever, you know. No, no. It's It's not about that. It's about you growing. We give you the opportunity. And I don't care if you do it here, you do it in a local school, you do it at a nonprofit, you should be doing it somewhere we encourage you to carve out a little bit of time every day to learn from and listen to God we make it easy we tell you go to Bible.com download the Bible app it's all right there when you get in our small groups you should be being encouraged by others let's all do this together we encourage you to develop a habit of generosity you get tired of hearing me talk about that sometimes Good grief, we made it so easy, it's automated now. Like, you just set it up, you don't have to think about it anymore, but it's there, it's the first thing. Because again, it's a faith catalyst. We encourage you to get in a group. So, somebody can be a providential relationship in your life, and so you can be one in theirs. We encourage you to invite your friends who are not in church. Why? So we can have more people sitting in our seats. Of course not. Let me help you out real quick. For every new person that comes here, my job gets harder. If it was about that, we'd just be like, hey, this is pretty good. Let's just chill where we are. No, no, no. They need a relationship with their Heavenly Father, and God wants to use you as a providential relationship to make it happen. That's why we encourage you to invite, because we want you to experience what it's like for God to use you in an extraordinary way. And we know when you do those four things, pivotal circumstances are going to come, and you're going to be ready for them. You will not walk away. So, when you hear me say, hey, you should invite, you should serve, you should connect, you should give, you should invite so you can be a providential relationship. You should serve because personal ministry changes you. You should connect so you can have some providential relationships. You should give. So you should have some disciplines. You should show up so you can hear some practical teaching. So let me say this and we'll wrap up. What next step do you need to take? Because that's what it comes down to. Which of these areas do you need to turn it up a notch? Which of these areas do you need to say, okay, I've been been arguing that I'm never going to do that and I've just ignored it, but I should take that step. Carve out a little bit of time with God this week get involved serving somewhere, what's the step? Here's what I know, and we'll close. One year from today, you are going to have some kind of faith, whether it's big or small, strong or weak, will be determined by the steps you take or do not take over the next 12 months. Not only that, one year from now, you will be living in the middle of some kind of circumstance. And whether that circumstance builds big faith in you or shakes your faith, will be determined by the steps that you take between now and then. God says, you work out what I'm working in you. You cooperate. You take a step. I'll change you. And when you take steps, step after step after step, you know what growing looks like? You know what momentum looks like? Momentum is a series of steps. That's it. And as you take step after step after step, you discover this. You discover that following Jesus will make your life better. And it will make you better at life. So what step do you need to take? Now go cooperate and work out what God is doing and wanting to do in you. Let me pray for us. Father, would you give us the wisdom to know what to do with this, the wisdom to know what step we need to take, More importantly, would you give us the boldness and the courage to do it even when we don't want to, even when we're fighting it, even when we're not sure it'll work, even when we're not sure we're capable? But help us to be willing to take a step and then another step and then another step and discover who you create us to be and discover what it's like when we have absolute confidence that our Heavenly Father is with us and for us. We thank you for that assurance. We thank you that you invite us to call you Father. In Jesus' name, amen.